Uh, hello world, uh, welcome to the Bitch and Brew podcast. My name is Danny Randon and uh, this is my first ever podcast, so that's pretty rad, I suppose. Um, anyways, if you don't know who I am, I don't imagine that's probably a lot of you. I'm a music journalist from the UK, South Coast, represent. Um, I contribute to a number of different publications, including Upset and Bring the Noise, but this podcast is actually hosted through, via my music blog, which is called Randon's Reviews. Um, it's not a living, it's just something that I love to do in what little spare time I have. And the blog's taken on many different forms, on many different blogging platforms since 2010, but I relaunched Randon's Reviews in the new year, and it is by far the happiest I've ever been with it. The initial response has been great. So if you've you've, uh, gravitated towards this blog, then thank you. Um, If you know me as a friend or a relative or an acquaintance or even a foe and you've decided to just show some support, then thank you as well. And uh, if you've never even heard of Random's Reviews and you've just stumbled across this podcast randomly, then you're ultra cool and thank you as well for listening. So let me give a little bit of an introduction to the Bitch and Brew podcast before we go in on our first ever episode. Uh, until the end of last year, I'd never really listened to podcasts, and while I was stuck in a pretty crappy job, you know, not involved professionally with music at all, I discovered the medium as this really immersive way to stay in touch with everything. It got me uh, through the long days, and I would listen to just hours and hours of podcasts, and I, I still do. Um, but they eventually made me realise how much I miss speaking uh, publicly and working in broadcast media. Uh, some of you may remember my radio show on PRFM, which I did for over two years, and I really miss doing that. Um, as I didn't really have the means to start doing radio again, I didn't really have a station to go to, I thought that I might set up the Bitch and Brew, uh, especially seeing as podcasts are going through somewhat of a renaissance right now, and I thought that would be a really cool way to branch out with Randon's reviews onto some other platforms um but as opposed to doing something like album reviews or discussing set topics i wanted to focus really on the on the sort of converse not the mundane the more conversational element which makes podcasts like um like going off track and someone who isn't me who's which is hosted by daniel p carter uh both of which are just brilliant um it is incredibly difficult however to approach a musician or a member of the music industry and just go hey let's schedule a conversation sometime uh when i think of that i think of that scene in monty python's meaning of life when they sat in the restaurant and the waiter hands the couple of conversation menu and they have this sort of really awkward and uniformed and contrived conversation about uh, philosophy and the meaning of life and that's not really how you do a conversation so i thought i might put a bit of a spin on it a particularly british spin Uh, where we sit down over a cup of tea and some biscuits, uh, just press record and see what happens. We don't really have to talk uh, shop as such. It's not really an interview. I mean, we can talk about the band and what they're doing at the moment, but I really wanted to indulge the more everyday um, human side of things, if you will. Now, the name Bitchin' Brew, some of you may be wondering where that comes from. It's actually, I derived it from the Miles Davis record, uh, Bitches Brew, Uh, And if you take that term and uh, type it in on Urban Dictionary, which is, of course, a very credible source, as we all know, uh, a bitch's brew is allegedly a nasty cocktail or cheap promotional beverage purchased by nightclub-loving females that has the effect of making them want to scratch each other's fucking eyes out. Um, 
Now, that's not really what I was going for so much. I meant it more in the context of if you make yourself a cup of tea or if someone else indeed makes you a cup of tea uh, and it's so good that you might go, man, that's a bitchin' brew. Or, you know, someone might have said that in 2004 or something, but I thought it sounded pretty cool. Um, I think that's enough of an introduction for now. If you want to go and check out Randon's Reviews, the place you need to go is uh, randonsreviews.blogspot.com. If you Google Randon's Reviews, it won't come up because the platform I use to set up the blog sucks ass like that. Um, There is also a Facebook page, uh, facebook.com forward slash Randon's Reviews, and I'm on Twitter too, um, at Danny underscore Randon. Um, now, I was stoked to start this podcast, especially after I was able to uh, book my first guest. Her name is Landy Hecht, and she sings and plays bass in a punk rock band from the UK uh, in Exeter called Muncie Girls. Uh, not only do they sound ace, there's vibes of these so sort of girl power bands in the 90s like Hole and Veruca Salt. There's a bit of 90s college rock in there. Uh, They're also, in my opinion, extremely important to the UK punk scene at the moment and are really shouting about some uh, very important topics. Um, I've spoken to Landy before. I spoke to her on the phone uh, for Upset Magazine, but it was really cool to actually sit down with her in person uh, to chat about their debut album, From Kaplan to Bell Size, which came out earlier this year. Uh, We also had a chat about the DIY punk scene, which is something that actually carries over into episode two of this podcast, but more on that later. Uh, We also spoke a little bit about politics and how punk rock provided an entry point into the sphere of learning about politics growing up. Uh, We talk a bit about rock autobiographies and also about how awesome our parents are, which is, spoiler alert, very, very awesome. Um, I will warn you, while we're sitting down into these podcasts, it it did take a little bit more of a structure than I'd initially hoped. It does play out a little bit like an interview, but I think that's just kind of par for the course while I settle back down into in, uh, into broadcasting. And at the, as these uh, podcasts progress, uh, which I very much hope they will, um, I think the conversational element will start to become a little bit more prominent. Anyways, let's get stuck in. Episode one of the Bitch and Brew podcast brought to you by Randon's Reviews. This is what happened when I sat down for a cup of tea and some hobnobs with Landy Hecht from Muncie Girls. Thank you, Landy, for being the first ever guest on the Bitch and Brew podcast. No worries. It's the pilot, so no pressure. Happy to be part of the beginning. Before before we do start, I'm going to ask this for every guest that's on here. Tell us a little bit about what is in your cup right now, your cup of tea. You chose the... I've completely forgotten. <laughs> but it's orange, cinnamon and mango. Yep. I believe. Is that what it is? Yeah, yeah. It's delicious anyway. I've never tried this one before. I just kind of plucked it out of my kitchen cupboard. Do you want to sip? Um, Okay, yeah, I will. Thank you. Yeah, no, not at all. Mm. What have you got? I've got a personal favourite of mine. That's lovely. Mm. That's really nice. I know. I've got a personal favourite of mine at the moment. Um, It's Cherry Bakewell Green Tea. Weird. uh, Both Twinings. We're not sponsored, by the way, so just (laughs) in case anyone wants to try the Twinings uh, fruit tea or cherry bakewell green tea, it's a lot. Would you like to try? Are you? Okay, thanks. What? What's your kind of? What's your? Where do you usually stand with hot drinks? Are you kind of like a person who's like, wake up in the morning, have a cup of coffee, or? I normally wake up too late. Well, it depends what morning this is. If I'm going to work, I don't even have water. Do just roll straight out of bed and out the door. Oh, how do you I'm do that? I'm a late sleeper. Oh, right. Um, but 
Yeah, or if, or if we're on tour, I'll sort of wait until someone offers. If they offer, sure. But I'm not exactly going to go in the cupboard and start making yeah. my own, you know, when someone's still asleep. So, yeah, I don't know. Like, I'm not obsessed with them, but I do love a good coffee. My favourite thing about coffee is just meeting people, yeah. and chatting a coffee. It's the, it's the social element yeah, of it, isn't exactly. it? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and, of course, we've got a pack of hobnobs here, so please help yourself. I know it's not Delicious. so much of a, like, you can't really dunk hobnobs into a into an orange and no, cinnamon. it's not that you can't do it. It's, it's just that you'd see the crumbs because there's yeah. no milk to make it kind of opaque. Well, hobnobs are kind of quite, you know, they're kind of bastions of the, the biscuit dunking world. They don't fall apart like rich tea. True. <laughs> so I should probably steer it, like, just to sort of kick things off, to steer it towards uh, the last time that we spoke um, for Upset Magazine. It was just towards the end of the year and... Um, it was probably about a month before the album release, and yeah, I just remember, and I just remember you absolutely agonising over the fact that you'd been sitting on this record for about a year, or yeah, perhaps even over that point. Yeah, I think it was about fifteen months in the end that we had the actual record for. Well, since we recorded to when it was released. So it must obviously feel amazing that the record's finally out there, but. I remember you saying that because in the lead up to it, there uh, that not many people had heard it. Like it wasn't a record that hadn't really got out there until it was released. Yeah. So, judging from the from the reaction, both from fans from critics, how do you kind of how do how do you perceive the reception of that record? Is it? It's, I think it's really hard to tell if you're in a band how it's like. We weren't really expecting anything, so it's kind of wild that people have said they like it or a few people have heard it but yeah. yeah I don't really know I don't know how you like if you're in a band you can't see it for what it is Yeah. it's kind of just like oh right well that's the thing I don't know that doesn't make any sense I get that but yeah, um, yeah I don't really have any decent perspective I don't think well I mean the, the reviews were fantastic they were good yeah but I still read it and I thought like something there's still something that is that I don't know you can't like read it as an actual review yeah it doesn't feel like a proper thing if it's about you do you know what i mean yeah i, I was i was reading something quite um thought-provoking personally as a as you know as a journalist the other day uh reading something on one of these these facebook groups where they were debating do reviews actually matter anymore do, do the you know in with the decline of print media um do people take reviews seriously or do they maybe not seriously but do they kind of value them in the same way that they might have done five ten years ago and that makes me kind of worry about how i should write about an album um but what really interested me um you know in the lead up to the album was you saying about the the sort of anxieties of putting a whole album together you're saying that you're perplexed yeah and that you um yeah, some something stood out to me. It was when I think it was when Ali interviewed you for Upset. You were saying that you um, you wanted to do it properly because up until that point it was just EPs. Yeah. Um, I don't, I don't, I don't know. I just kind of wanted to discuss that with you, like in terms of over the last few years, some of the best records, particularly by British and um, British punk bands, yeah. have been EPs. Yeah, it's true. More so than albums. So. Do you still think that the EP is, is quite important? 
Yeah, yeah I think it's like, it's definitely a good thing because it's kind of, it's cheaper to do because you don't have to do it on a record. You can do it on a tape or a seven inch or, you know, CDRs or just downloads or whatever. Yeah. And I think it just takes away a bit of the pressure so you don't have to fork out for recordings. It's not so much of a big deal. Yeah. And also like, I think when you start a band, yeah. it's really cool to like get your first kind of, it's basically an EP is like a set length, isn't it? In the yeah, punk rock. yeah. So it's like five or six songs. That's like 20 minutes, 25 minutes. That's how long you want a band to play for. Yeah. So it's kind of like their first set. That's what I think of an EP as. So you'd have like your first EP, then your second EP. So how the their sets like evolve over that time. So I think they are important and they're really cool. And I absolutely love like Shit Presence EP, for example. Right. Or, I haven't like, heard it. Oh really? No, okay. Right. Or Personal Bests. Um, yeah. The Love and EP or whatever it was called. But yeah, like those are amazing. And it's not like I think it's good because it makes people excited for an album. Like with both of those mm. bands. Shit present still, but with Personal Best, I was like, oh, I can't wait till they do a proper album now. Yeah. So I've got like enough to get obsessed with. And some of the EPs recently have been like amazing. Like there's um, uh, the Weather State EP, which came out at the beginning of the year. It's proper, it's, uh, oh, it's, it's a good, fun punk record. Absolutely. And I think one of the brilliant things about EPs is uh, I think it definitely puts a bit more pressure on a band to deliver over a shorter space of time. Yeah, definitely. So to sort of be a, be a little bit leaner in their songwriting and sort of cut out the not not necessarily filler. Like if you're a young band and you've mm. not if you've written a maximum of like ten songs and six songs are going onto an EP, you're not necessarily cutting out the filler. You're just picking yeah. the best of a yeah, really yeah, good yeah. bunch of songs. You've already sort it's of. It's funny we've never it. done it like that. We've never like had a load of songs and just picked the best ones. It's it's always We've never just, really thrown yeah. any songs away. It amazes it amazes me when a band goes into a studio and they say we have sixty songs ready for the next record. I've never heard of that. Oh, I'd see, do bands I, do that? Yeah, That's I, mental I, well, I see. I'd say, like yeah, we've got about sixty songs demoed, and somehow they whittle that down Why? into about. I, I don't know. It, it makes ma- no it, sense. It makes me think. Well, when, instead of writing. 60 half-assed songs which will eventually turn into a 12-track half-assed album Yeah, when you can put all your energy into 12, 13 really good songs and totally you know kick everyone's arse with it (laughs) Um, so one of of the really brilliant things when I chatted to you uh, for Upset uh, was talking about in this day and age of uh, the British punk scene and um, at places like this, I mean, to set the scene, we're at the uh, boiler room in Guildford right now. I've never been here before, but it's... Me neither. It's First really lovely. It's a lovely little creative space. I think they've got a tattoo studio here as well. And uh, yeah, it's a lovely, lovely little place here. So looking forward to uh, seeing how it plays out as a venue later. But in places like this, and in, in the British punk scene right now, I think it can, especially in the rock press, it can boil down to that one little acronym, that three-letter acronym at the moment that everyone's using, which is DIY. Yeah. Um, and when I was speaking to you about our Monty Girls at DIY Band, and you were saying that you're not, um, I think bands a lot these days are calling themselves DIY bands. Yeah, they really are. Um, <laughs> when they've got record contracts, they've got managers, they've got you know, press agents, etc. So, where where do you kind of think the... Where's the line? Yeah, where, where is the line? Well, this the line's the... really simple. You're only a DIY band if you do everything yourself. Yeah. So, you book your own shows, 
you kind of avoid sort of any kind of companies you put out you could own your own record label mm -hmm. I reckon friends labels are kind of okay as long as yeah. you have a big part in the process mm -hmm. yeah so you book all your own tours you get friends to do artwork or you do the artwork yourself or whatever and then you, you do all the emailing and you know what else even is there in a band yeah. you know so that's a DIY band and it's not like hard to stay DIY and there are loads of bands that are but I think anything else than that yeah it's not DIY yeah yeah which is like fine like that's what I'm saying like it, it's fine to not be DIY Girls has, have literally never been a DIY band like Andrew from um, Specialist Subject put out our first record and as soon as he did well we didn't do that ourselves so yeah. we're not a DIY band <laughs> like we love DIY culture and, and it, obviously it's like we play loads of shows like that and it, yeah. we booked our own tours for like until last month or something so we've done that but yeah basically there's a lot of stuff that's not DIY because we get help from our friends and stuff yeah um, and from yeah from new friends old friends so I wouldn't say that we were is it a kind of all or nothing thing so it either it has to be all well no I don't no no you don't have to I don't think that you have to um, be like you don't have to either be completely DIY or everything has to be done by other people but I think that you're not a DIY band if you get anything done by other people. Right, Do you know okay. what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because it's this kind of like, it's almost like a way of living like independently. Yeah. And showing that these kind of middle people don't need to exist and that it's kind of bullshit. Which yeah. like, I don't necessarily agree with, but I think it's a cool thing to do. Yeah. So yeah, I wouldn't say it's, it, it doesn't have to be either or completely. But yeah, you can't be a DIY band if you're getting help off people. Does it, does it make you a little bit like... Uh, there are DIY bands out there, but you you not, are calling yourselves a DIY band when you're not a DIY band. It doesn't bother me. No. People say literally so much shit all the time <laughs> that if you got annoyed every time it happened, then you'd just be like so stressed you'd die. Yeah. So no, it doesn't annoy me at all. Um, much worse stuff. I mean, <laughs> I think there are certain ways that you can still keep yourself in touch with the DIY ethic. I mean, oh, yeah, I've noticed sure. that particularly with months ago I was on this tour, I saw that for your headline show at the Lexington last month, you had a handmade backdrop. Is that right? Yeah, that's yeah. true. Well, yeah, that's um, our friend Kay, well, Kay from Specialist Subject. Okay. And my sister Morgan from um, that band Young Adventurers. They spent like 13 hours collectively, like hand-making us a banner as like a congratulatory gift for the record The first record London release. headline gig as well. No, it, yeah, it was, but yeah. The, it was for the release shows, but also just like as a yeah. album present. And it was so nice. We were like welling awesome. up like, oh. <laughs> but yeah, no, it was awesome. And another thing as well, did, did I read uh, on your Facebook that you don't have a merch person for this tour? So when Facebook, you know, on Facebook, when bands put, hey, we're at this venue tonight, photo by... Yeah. You know, and the photographer that they take out on tour. You've been taking selfies yeah. on tour instead. So yeah. God, it's so embarrassing. <laughs> but yeah, we just kept taking selfies because we were off walking by ourselves, and then we realised like cause we were in loads of nice places, and the weather's being quite nice. We're like, oh, we'll take a little selfie, even though it's completely savage. Yeah. You know, when you're not at home and you kind of don't care, because you know you'll never see any of those like, sort of people again. So we were doing that, and then we were like, oh, we look nice in that one. Put that one up. And then we realised we'd done like eight in a row and we were like, fuck, that's so bad. But um, yeah, it's just reality. Is it kind of the taking person. 20 photos before finding finding one? Yeah, it was like two. Yeah, okay, two. fair enough. We norm we, to be fair, we normally have a merch person and a friend who takes photos sometimes. So 
yeah, we just have like mates that come out, but no one wants to come on a UK tour, so yeah, so it's easy to get them to come over to Europe. <laughs> so where where are, where are the kind of nice places that you've been visiting on this tour? Have we, you had a chance to see the sites? Yeah, or? we went when we we went to Edinburgh. That was the first time I've been there. Okay, so yeah. we went up to the castle and just like went for a nice stroll. And we went. We've been to like where else have we been? Oh, we went like to the Yorkshire Sculpture Park. That was nice. No way. Well, that was Wakefield. Um, yeah, it's nice. It's just like an outdoor. So what is it's like a, what? It's just like loads sculpture. of like. You know, like so, mostly like abstract. Oh, okay, sculptures. right, yeah, yeah. Um, just like dotted around in this massive garden. So oh, that was that's really so cool. nice. But um, yeah, it's been really. And that's nice. in Wakefield, did you say? Yeah, it's like in, we were driving from Sheffield to Leeds. It's on the way. Oh, uh, okay. I didn't want this to be like uh, uh, a politics with Muncie Girls kind of thing yeah. because I'd imagine that all the journalists out there are asking you right now. Talk, talk to me about politics. You're a, you're a political punk band. Maybe. Mostly what people ask is, are you a political band? Yeah. And then we go, like, don't know, maybe. And yeah. Go, okay. <laughs> and, like, we've had that a lot, but surprisingly people, I don't know, maybe lots of people don't like to touch on it because yeah. it's, like, a difficult one, isn't it? It is a really tricky subject. I don't and know I'm... whether you might start, like, arguing and throwing chairs everywhere. I... <laughs> I, I know we've spoken about this before about how crap it is right now to be so disillusioned in the sort of sphere of contemporary politics mm. and you have the right to vote but you don't know what you're voting for uh, you haven't been given a proper education in politics I know that's what the yeah. song Learn in School's about which is one of my favourite songs on the record um, so I was really interested because you so seem so sort of in the know or like you know politically aligned really yeah and, well if you if you can sing about it and craft a whole song around it I think that's something you know something worth absolutely shouting about yeah. and politics is all like not not always and not in every you know sort of way of punk rock but punk rock and politics have been synonymous for many years with yeah. one another you know um, so what was your entry point personally into realising that uh, social conscience can really be amplified through through punk rock, or, or was it was it even punk rock? I mean, what were the first bands? It was actually. Okay. It was like, but it wasn't it wasn't bands. It was people. Right. So, I was sixteen. I was sixteen before I'd ever thought about any kind of problems, mostly like social problems. So, I think the first thing that I started realizing was like fucked was just like racism. Yeah. I'd, I know it's like really stupid, but I come from like a quite a small city in Exeter mm. and Devon, and it's not really talked about that much. Yeah. So, yeah, I was obviously a bit late to realizing that that was a thing. I know it was a thing, but you know, getting, you know, that when you're a teenager and you just get so kind of like passionate about something like that. Yeah. And it really actually upsets you really deeply. So that was the first thing, and then after that, I think the next year was when. Um, the Tories were voted in. So right. then all the... Or maybe that year or something. Anyway, the cuts were all happening. Around 2010. Yeah, so yeah. yeah, that was the next year. That was when I was 17. And so we were, like... We were feeling super strong about that. And then after that, I think it was, like, I got into feminism when I was 18. So it was kind of, like, through college. But, yeah, with bands, I think it was just... It wasn't really, like... I mean... 
feminism, that's an easy one because I got into like Riot Girl when I was 18. Yeah. And that was what kind of pointed me towards that. Um, so it was like Bikini Kill um, and like loads of bands, like it's not necessarily just Riot Girl bands, yeah. but like Slater Kinney and stuff. Yeah. And we're, we're around the same age. I'm, I'm 21. So I'm 22. Okay, yeah. yeah. So I remember probably when I was around 18 or when we were around 17, 18, around that sort of age. Um, right Girl was back in the press for the obvious reasons Pussy Riot yeah. Yeah. Um, so uh, I think a few years before that my first entrance into it um, in terms of like a band as such singing about politics in a really sort of candid way I suppose were the King Blues really? yeah but I remember seeing uh, the King Blues at the Concord 2 in Brighton and how it just felt less like a gig and more like a rally and I was like yeah, I'll yeah, find, yeah. I need more of that yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and then you know bands like Enter Shikari uh, started singing less about travels through space and more sort of on the ground yeah. sing, singing about the economy and the environment yeah. and that was like that, oh, that, that's, that's actually a, a thing I just remembered since you said that um, Against Me were probably actually the biggest yes. band for me when, yeah. I, when I was 16 um, yeah, it was like it was just so new. I think yeah. for me, it was like a really new thing to hear or to like feel something from music that wasn't just like it sounds nice, you know. Like yeah. either the only thing I'd ever felt before was just sadness or happiness, like really yeah. basic things. But there was a really new thing where I felt like angry by listening yeah. to music, which obviously is it's just a cheesy and classic thing to say, but yeah. it's true. And I think against me were probably actually the first one to do that. And they managed to pour it into such awesome sounding songs as yeah, well I remember exactly, when yeah. I remember when I saw Against Me for, like I got into Against Me on the last record um, and so going back and listening to the discography now and you know hearing that uh, Laura still sings in the same way and that's obviously brilliant are you excited by the way I, 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 I was I was going to ask you know um, Oh wow, okay, sorry. <laughs> I'm wondering how that's going to come out. That was a car backfiring, by the way. We're right on the side of an A road. That wasn't gunshots. Um, but anyway, um, I, I, I'm always interested in what bands are listening to on the road, what their sort of van soundtrack is. But with you, I'm more interested about what you are reading at the moment in terms of. Because yeah. that's, 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 the, that's the thing that's been, you know, banded around and associated with you a lot is yeah. the, the whole side of literature side of things. I mean, you know, obviously the album, the Sylvia Plath reference, mm. and um, so are you excited for the Laura Jane Grace? Bi- yeah, I'm uh, definitely going to read yeah. it. Yeah, for sure. Memoirs. Yeah, because at the moment I'm reading Carrie Brownstein's memoir from Slater Kinney. Right. Okay. Um, which is really good, but yeah, I can't wait. Definitely. It's interesting. I just I don't know how she writes. Yeah. So you know, sometimes it's a bit scary when it's someone that you like totally idolise, and then you read. There. I've heard people say this about Patti Smith right, like they okay. love her and they read that book Just Kids and couldn't get on with her writing oh, and okay. it kind of it, it bothered them a bit do you know what I mean Like, but I really like that book but um but yeah, so I'm not really sure. Yeah. I don't know. With um, with me, the sort of uh, you know rock autobiographies kind of thing. Uh, I remember one sort of pivotal, but not in a good way. One. Uh, because they were a pivotal band for me when I was around 16 and just sort of starting to learn about politics but not quite, you know, locking in with it. One of the bands that were pivotal for me were The Smiths, Discovering The Smiths. I love The Smiths and I love their music but I think that Morrissey is such a twat. Yeah. Right? (laughs) I saw his book for... 
I think it was £4 in Tesco and I was yeah. like, I'm going to buy it just to see if That's it changes the thing, my opinion. That's these books are always four, £4 or yeah. £2 in HMV or something. Yeah, and... Um, and I, I think I got about 50 pages in before I gave up because all he was talking about was the telly that he watched growing up in Manchester. Mm. And I'm like, I, I don't really want to... I know this book is 400 so pages funny. long and that's kind yeah. of like a drop in the it's ocean. It's like the ramblings in there. I haven't yeah. actually read that. I don't think I ever will, but... I, I, I personally didn't think it's worth it. But right now I'm reading um, I'm reading Lemmy's autobiography really? at the moment. And, uh, is that dark? It, it's, it's quite dark. And, you know, his um, his attitudes are still kind of stuck in his glory days I in place in that. places yeah it's not like you know disgusting to read that? as such i think it was early noughties i definitely remember my dad owning that book around the early noughties and yeah. i just sort of bought my own copy as soon as lemmy died because i was like i hadn't read his autobiography yeah yeah so um but then it can go totally the other way as well there are some brilliant rock autobiographies about out there and um i think one person who has kind of made a name for himself, not so much as the, hey, I'm a musician who's writing books, as in, I'm a, I'm a fucking author, is yeah. Corey Taylor. Have you ever really? read any of his books? <laughs> it's, it's refreshing to read them and go, okay, so you're not just talking about Slipknot. What is it, an autobiography? So he's, ri- he's written three books. Uh, he's, Are they novels? Uh, they're not, they're not. They're, they're slightly autobiographical because he refers to sort of uh, other, you know, he, he refers to examples in his life, but uh, his first book was about how uh, was about the seven deadly sins, and how they shouldn't be perceived as sins. Wow. Uh, so recalling, he's had quite a debauched life, as you can imagine, but um, yeah, referring to how, basically how the seven deadly sins are bullshit. I haven't read his second book. But sounds his, demented. Yeah, his third book came out last year, which has the most brilliant um, title ever, at least the first bit of the title, is called You're Making Me Hate You. And it's basically a diatribe on the lack of common sense in modern society. And so he's talking about bad drivers. Sounds positive. Yeah, he's talking about bad drivers, he's talking about commercial pop, um, he's talking about uh, people in shopping malls. It's hilarious. But it's also very philosophical, and I think he's a brilliant writer. The, the last sort of thing I wanted to talk to you about, and it just says in my notes, in capital letters, parents are fucking awesome. <laughs> now this came, I was reading the recent Kerrang! feature. Oh, right. If, yeah. if, you, if you haven't read it yet, and you have the back issues of Kerrang!, it's in the Mikey Way issue. The lovely editor of Kerrang!, James, who's awesome. Yeah. Done a lot for me, and he's done a lot for you guys as well. Yeah, he has, yeah. Getting you in those pages. Um... Touch, touches upon your relationship with your mum. Yeah. And, and we were speaking about it just before we started recording, but your mum sounds like one of... And this is coming from someone whose mum is awesome. Yeah. Your mum sounds like one of the coolest mums on the planet. She is pretty cool. So, for, for people who haven't read it, so your mum is into Nirvana and Patti Smith. Yeah. She's self-employed van driver, works for Oxfam, is mad into recycling... And she's an enabler of people with cerebral palsy. Yeah, all that through. is just incredible. And she's a poet. And she, oh yes, it? yeah, she is. She yeah. is a poet. Have That's you got any of her, Have you got any of her poetry? I don't. I, I don't have her permission either. Oh Although really? she does have some stuff 
out there. But yeah. Yeah. No, I don't have any with me. Okay. But it's good. Yeah. I can say that. Well, well, for people who want to go and check out your mum's poetry, how how can how can they find it? I have no idea. I've only read it because it's in books, like on my bookshelf. Oh but, right. Okay. But she's called Diana Hecht. Diana Hecht. Just in case okay. anyone wants to do some research. I don't yeah. Know. Absolutely. No. Well, <laughs> I'd love. A, yeah. She's not exactly a wildly published poet. Okay. Well, no. But it's good. It's I good think stuff. I'd have Pub, uh, poem published once when I was 11 years old and that's about as far as I got in terms of poetry um, but how when 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 it eventually like got to the time you were saying uh, when you left school and uh, you just wanted to play music yeah how 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 was your mum obviously she seems like quite a, a liberal and very artistic person yeah how 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 was her support in that kind of well, when she, she didn't go to I think she got kicked out of school when she was 14. Okay. So she didn't go to... I think she went to art college a little bit later on. Mm. But she's never been to, like, uni. So it's not exactly, like, in her set of what you need to do as a person. So I never thought that that was what you had to do. I just knew that it was an option. But I was thinking about going to uni for ages. I wanted to go and study jazz. Um, But then I just didn't end up doing it because we started doing shows and stuff. Yeah. Um, Would you ever go back and do it? If you had the time? I don't, yeah. Yeah, I would like to one day, but it's just one of those things where I'd be too scared that I've forgotten everything I learned, which I have. But, <laughs> yeah, I could get it back into it. I, I don't know, to be honest. But, but yeah, no, she, she definitely wasn't like, do that at all. Yeah. She was like, do what you want and you enjoy that. And also she was like, don't even listen to me. It was never like, you know... It was like she was supportive, but in a back yeah. because she was just like she don't care as long as I'm happy, it's fine. <laughs> did did she come to the shows at the cavern? Yeah, she does. Yeah. Yeah. See, I, I hear so much about the cavern, and I've got mates who are going on tours all the time, and, and go going, going down to play the cavern, and yeah. it's like I ju- like being part of a local scene like that is just so much for, like growing up. I grew up in West Sussex, so not actually not too far from here. Yeah. In a town called Horsham. And I've written quite extensively on Randon's reviews about the Horsham music scene and how special places like the little y- local youth centre are and oh, the little yeah. festivals oh, out in the countryside and, um, and also uh, like the little local Battle of the Bands where at least yeah. one band member has to be from the tiny... Con- oh, well, it's not so tiny. It's very conservative, white, middle-class town that Horsham is. Yeah. So when it is that kind of town it's very special to have a local music scene there yeah so uh, but anyway back back to back to your mum i mean i i'm also in the position where my parents are, are very sort of supportive of um of what what i do in terms of like you know i just want to write music for a living yeah. and do the blog and income kind of comes second to my ambitions but there is still a, a sort of dichotomy of uh, of parents who you know, want their child to do X, Y, and Z. Really? Yeah. Yeah, and parents who just want to want to support yeah. what, whatever yeah, yeah, yeah. you do. And I think we're both very lucky to have parents who do that. Yeah, totally. Yes, yeah, it's, it's it's a really lucky thing to have yeah. growing up because I think, well, I mean, I say lucky. You're just lucky anyway. But yeah. like Lucky to be alive. I yeah, I'd hate to for my parents to want me to go and study like law or something yeah or study at all or just want me to do anything do you know what I mean like it's weird when people bring up kids and then like want them to go and do a certain thing it's like really strange like surely once they got to a certain age like 
they are just like their own person. Yeah, I, I don't know about you, but there's nothing that makes me that feel like fills me up with as much warmth as seeing um, a parent in the crowd at their kids' show. Like especially with those Battle of the Bands, when you've got thirteen-year-old kids starting their first bands, yeah. seeing parents in the in the front row of these gigs is actually more uplifting than seeing just the local kids yeah, yeah, and their friends coming Although to Although it is absolutely horrific when they like try and get on stage at the end of the show. My mum's done that. <laughs> My mum's done that. I think there's she... a good there's a good place to be in that sort of yeah. towards the back. Yeah. Quietly supporting. Or just heckling at the back. That's my boy. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Um, but yeah, no. My 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 mum has done that. Um, she pi- she picked me and some bandmates up from band practice once and was gonna uh, give them a lift home. And um, and on the way on the way to my mate's house when she was dropping them off, she said, "Oh, actually, can we go? Can we go like drive through the town centre and shout at people at bus stops?" No. Yeah. That's amazing. So. What did you shout? What did she shout? She. Um, <laughs> She's going to hate me for putting this in, but I'm leaving it in anyway. Uh, we would roll down windows and shout stuff like minge at people at bus stops. Your mum shouted that? My mum shouted that. That's mental. Yeah, and then when we played the Battle of the Bands, for some reason my singer got my mum off on stage to shout it down the microphone <laughs> as we played our final notes. Okay. <laughs> she's, she's a bit, but she broke, she broke her hand in a mosh pit at one of my no gigs way. once. Yeah, yeah. Gnarly. Yeah, and my, da- and my dad's coming to the show later. Oh, so cool. <laughs> That's so funny. That's always cool as well when you can kind of swap music with you. Do, do, do you do that with your mum? Is she, not is she, really. She's not no. massively into bands. Is it, is it more much. books that you swap and go? I don't really think we do swap much. Yeah. But, um, but yeah, definitely like some books, for yeah. sure. Well... That was fun, wasn't it? Um, I, I, well, it certainly was for me. Thanks, thanks to Andy from Months of Girls for sitting down to record the pilot of the Bitch and Brew podcast. I uh, hope you enjoyed it. If you haven't checked out Months of Girls yet, make sure that you go and pick up their album From Kaplan to Bell Size. came out on Specialist Subject Record earlier this year. It is absolutely phenomenal. Definitely a contender of, for album of the year for me. Um, I know we joked about it, but I do want to sort of leave a little disclaimer saying that I'm not sponsored by any brands. I know I mentioned uh, Hobnobs and Twinings, but if there are any tea brands or biscuit bakers who want to send me shit, I'll quite happily drink or eat it while advertising you. So, yeah, do do that. Send, send me stuff. <laughs> um, like I said at the beginning, I am really hoping that future podcasts take on more of a conversational format but as you can imagine it's a really tough thing to master um, nevertheless I um, recorded episode two of Bitch and Brew pretty much about an hour after this one and it is a substantial improvement as much as I loved doing this pilot uh, episode two of the Bitch and Brew will be with Kenny and Smith from the band Muskets uh, they're a Brighton punk band who you should also all go and check out as soon as you are done with listening to this podcast uh, make sure that you subscribe on iTunes or SoundCloud to get these podcasts when they land. Uh, Rantonsreviews.blogspot.com, uh, facebook.com forward slash Rantonsreviews, uh, at Danny underscore Ranton on Twitter. If you did like this podcast, please, please, please share it with your friends. Share it on your social media. I try not to do all of this kind of plug, 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 advertise, you know, listen to this kind of shit. But if you do want to hear more of these, then please help me get around to reviews in the Bitch and Brew podcast out into the world. Uh, hashtag it too if you want. The hashtag is just hashtag Ranton's Reviews. 
Uh, I'm going to shut up now. Episode 2 of the Bitch and Brew podcast is with muskets, and it's coming soon. Thanks for listening. Laters, taters.